funny. All right, we're rolling. So you'll notice I did not look for new theme music. What do you think? Two episodes in a row, same theme music. That, well, it's consistent. It's consistent. Well, I figure at this point, we're roped into this for the next 10 years because now we have brand recognition, right? Um, yeah. And plus, some people have heard it. We've, we've had a couple of listeners, so. You know, on Gilligan's Island, there was that time when it switched to and the rest. Um, and something similar happened with Happy Days. I referenced Happy Days last episode, too. Uh, but they changed that theme song up, and it, I don't know, it confused me a little bit. I think you got to stay consistent on the theme song. Are you streaming Happy Days? Or... You know, it's funny. I found Happy Days on one of the local antenna TV channels, and uh, guess what the first episode was that I found? On jumping Happy the Shark. It had to be jumping. jumping it was Jumping the Shark. Nice. And I thought, wow, of all the episodes to run across, that's the mm. one I found. Hey, you know what? This is the Make a Better Podcast, episode number two. I'm Chris. I'm Bob. Oh, look, listen to that. Listen to that production value. Hey, we didn't even have to script that part. Way to go. <laughs> and welcome back. We, uh, we are back here to talk about all things that kind of annoy us a little bit and maybe trying to find the, uh, the right answer for making those things that annoy us just a little bit, just a little bit better. You know, I was uh, thinking uh, in this episode, you know, the one thing I haven't told people is they can actually contact us. Do you know that? I, I do not know that. I've, I've been looking at the phone and it's not ringing. So, yeah, you're uh, obsessed with the method. phone. You're obsessed, obsessed with the phone. phone. You know, it's not 1986 anymore. You uh, don't have to actually be contacted via phone anymore. Unless, of course, I suppose, unless you were thinking Snapchat or, or text or can you communicate? Can you do a DM in TikTok? I don't have TikTok. Uh, what, is, is, what that is that a thing? TikTok? Is that a, this clock? Okay, what is Jesus. It? Oh my God. All right. Well, all right. This, okay. Let's, let's not, let's not expose your age any further. If you don't know what the TikTok is, the TikTok is the Chinese social uh, app. It's the new craze. It's uh, what uh, 20 second long videos. I think mostly it, it's a lot of people dancing and, and uh, funny dog and cat videos and that sort of thing. That's what TikTok did, is. Did we get that from China with the COVID or was that something separate? I mean, was it a package deal? Well, I, I think it maybe we have, would have been the uh, test of COVID because it seems to have caught on even faster than the COVID has uh, wow. for sure in the TikTok. No, so yeah, I mean, I'm, you, you need to Google this because um, we have outlawed TikTok. I don't know if you know that, or at least not outlawed it, but we have um, put out recommendations from certain governmental agencies that you should not use it because it's a security threat because it's traversing Chinese servers. And in fact, I believe Microsoft has been uh, looking at buying them so that it doesn't get banned here um, to use the TikTok. So this is a big deal. This is and a this big is, deal, the TikTok. This is why it's okay living with the blinders on. I didn't yeah. know that before. Now I know it. Do I need to worry about it? No, because I don't yeah. know what a TikTok is. Yeah. I mean, I, but once a week, my wife will say, can you believe that big explosion? And I'll say, what big explosion? Because unless it's, uh, you know, on the sports channels, uh, I really don't have any idea what she's talking about. But in this case, my kids expose enough to me with, with the social media and the TikTok. So I happen to know what TikTok is. But no, we got way off track here. I got to get us back because that's not how you're going to communicate with us. You're not going to communicate with us on TikTok. Not yet on the Facebook, not yet on the Twitter, but old school email. How often, how awesome is that? Old school email is the route. So you can, you can hit us up, make it better notes, M-A-K-E-I-T-B-E-T-T-E-R-N-O-T-E-S at gmail.com. And we know what's cool with that. You can send us text, but you can also use the voice memo app on your phone, record 30 second audio, a little voicemail action and send that on over an email. And uh, we'd enjoy hearing from you. And that could include what we could, we could get topic ideas because sooner or later we're going to run out of those. Uh, we could get uh, harmful feedback, uh, stuff that's going to make me feel bad about myself. Um, mm. We could get the odd positive feedback stuff that um, I won't believe uh, and will immediately, <laughs> and it will immediately think they, they feel so sorry for me that they're sending me uh, fake positive feedback. What, what else about, could we uh, get? Well, could we get threats and empty promises via that mailbox? Let's not get threats. I, I'm going to right now, I'm going to put my foot down and say, let's not have threats, but no empty threats. promises, empty promises. I'm okay. As long as it's positive, you know, like Fantastic. I'm going to send, I'm going to send you a million dollars, but it never really comes. 
that, right. that I would, I, I could live with. So in my email, I have a Nigerian prince that does that every couple of weeks. So oh, the Nigerian prince, I thought he only contacted me as it turned out. You know, I had, yeah. I, I got, I got a robo call the other day that was perhaps the most aggressive robo uh, um, scam call I've ever gotten. And I didn't answer it. So I have an old landline, which is not really even hooked up to the phone company anymore. It's using one of those internet phone services. And I just keep it around because you know, it's like the junk mail number, right? We still keep that old landline number. I only have to pay the tax on it every month. So I think it costs me like $2.50 or $3 a month or something like that to maintain the number. Uh, but I do have it wired up to an answering machine uh, because there have been times in which uh, usually the kids, again, have you know tried to call us in the middle of the night uh, we don't have our cell phones on or don't have the audio or have them on do not disturb mode or whatever, and they can't reach us. So the the landline is the last resort, right? So if they have to, they can always call that number and that'll still ring. But anyway, I also have an old school answering machine hooked up to that because again, I, you know, I don't really want to work too hard at getting messages. So if it's just going into a recorded, you know, 899 uh, answering machine, that's the simplest solution solution yet. Well, anyway, when anyone calls that number and leaves a message, I get the audio. So I had a scam call come through and that audio played as they were calling. And the guy said, uh, we've been trying to reach you. And I thought, oh, okay, we've been trying to reach you. This is the, this is the car warranty thing again, right? The mm -hmm. car warranty is yep. about every 10 minutes. Now, we've been trying to reach you and you need to call us back so we can verify your social security number, which of course, right? Okay, this is obvious scam, right? But, and they said, if you don't call us to verify your social security number, we will issue a warrant for your arrest <laughs> and put you behind bars. That's a quote. And then the phone line went dead at that point. I thought that is some aggressive scam marketing right there. That is the most aggressive I've ever heard. That's very aggressive, and, and I, uh, I believe that jail time is uh, one of is one of the most stressful uh, things that a person can have in their life. So jail is above, I think, death. People feel fear jail more than death. I would, I would. Um, I'm not so certain that a casket isn't larger than a cell, from what I've told, I've been able to see when I've been on a tour. I'm not sure that I would like it. Plus, there's the whole having to go to bathroom in public thing that uh, I'm just not uh, too cool about that, right? Where you're, you're basically in a Coles dressing room with a toilet, and I'm not real sure that that's a real good way to spend my, spend my Saturday evening. But I don't know. That was the by far the most aggressive scam caller that I've ever gotten, and I, I did ignore it. However, I didn't think I needed to do anything about that one. Well, that's probably a probably good idea. So those are the kinds of threats and empty promises we don't want in our in our email. But you can hit us up, make it better notes, N-O-T-E-S at gmail.com. And uh, hopefully we get, a, we get a little information in there we can use in a future mailbag or maybe use in the show uh, in, in the coming months. I think, uh, I think this week we, uh, we decided we were going to do a topic of boats, if I remember right, correct? You are correct. Yeah, um, I love boating. I've been out boating. This year has been particularly frustrating. So uh, that's why we decided that we will cover boats. There's got to be a way to make that better. And for those of you who, who missed prior episodes, Make It Better podcast, the whole point here is to not necessarily find solutions to problems, but there's all kinds of things in our world that we all deal with every single day, every single week. And they just have little annoyances that, you know what, don't need to be there. That, you know, if we all work together or, or maybe even if just a few of us did a few things a little bit better, it'd be better for everybody. So in, in, in this show, we try to find those things and then try to talk through, well, what could we do to make it just a, a little bit better? But again, uh, we're not real big on the whole accountability thing. Uh, so there, <laughs> There will be no solution here of any value other than the fact that, you know, maybe we'll stumble onto something that someone else will come up with a solution for and then make a million dollars. And again, uh, we'll sit here at eight o'clock at night on a weekday uh, doing this because we're not independently wealthy, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So boats. So, you know, you're much more, I am a boat owner. You are a boat owner. I'm a more recent boat owner. I am not an expert on boats, but I think I have the perspective here of the, uh, the noob boat owner, the guy who's trying to figure the ropes out, both from owning a boat as well as using a boat and in buying a boat. But you are a grizzled veteran of the nautical life, 
right? I mean, you're, you're one step above Captain Hook here, right? That, yeah, I have been boating for a very long time. Uh, in fact, it started in my childhood um, as an adult. I've owned a number of boats. Um, you're getting on at an interesting time, though, and I'll tell you why. Um, because of the lockdowns that we've experienced, people thought early in the year, oh, no, what am I going to do? I can't go anywhere. All the places I enjoy going are closed. What will I do? And their first thought is, let's buy a boat. Um, so what we saw this year in Minnesota was a 40% increase year over year in fishing license sales. So these people decide, hey, I'm going to go fishing, I'm going to go uh, wakeboarding, I'm going to go tubing, what have you, and they're buying boats. And I think that you ran into an experience where just looking for a boat, there was a line of people looking at that same boat, and they, they were flying off the shelves, if you will. Yeah, I can, I can certainly attest to that. And that also is a, a wonderful, uh, wonderful glimpse into the, uh, the timing that I have in the sense that, again, I go looking for a boat at a time in which everybody wanted to buy a boat, which is always the right time to go buy a product, right? Um, <laughs> but you're absolutely right. Um, I, didn't, I didn't have the bank nor the, the wish, uh, nor probably the intellect um, you know, to want to go buy a brand new boat. So I was on the used market for sure, Craigslist, Facebook Marketplace, Boat Trader. And you're right, everything I looked at was, um, you know, premium price, a uh, lot of boats that were roached, you know, just not in very good condition, but yet still at a premium price, but then gone within an hour uh, of them being posted. Uh, just crazy, the demand this year. So how are people able to buy those without seeing them? That's the part that, that I'm fascinated by. Well, it has to be a question of desperation or disposable income. One of the, one of the two, like the, 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 the most, uh, the most uh, clean double D that we could ever say on this, on this podcast uh, is that desperation and disposable income. The sense that, you know, the boat that we bought was not expensive, but, you know, in terms of what I see other people paying for boats, um, but it was not, I mean, it was a, it was the price of a good used car, right? And uh, the gentleman from whom I bought it, uh, and in fact, I bought that boat, I reached out to him 20 minutes after it was posted. I happened, you know, and this, this was not the first occurrence of this, but I happened to notice this thing get posted, uh, Facebook Marketplace. And I reached out to him 20 some minutes after it was posted. He, um, uh, ended up being a guy I actually hit it off with. We had a pretty good conversation. They were about two hours uh, away from me here. Um, he was a little cagey as we were messaging back and forth. And luckily his schedule didn't allow him to meet on the, on that current day. He wasn't expecting the, the level of response that he got. Uh, but I, I found out later that I was not the first person uh, to contact him, that I was probably in the first 15 in the first 20 minutes to contact him. And, and I also found out that in the 24 hours or so between when I contacted him and I finally actually drove out uh, to look at the boat and, and see him after we'd arranged all of this, he had people willing to spend, uh, you know, full price plus uh, sight unseen. Uh, I'll come tomorrow and pick it up. Uh, I'll pay whatever anybody's offering you. I'll give you $100 more. Uh, and that continued all the way through. Uh, literally until he removed it from Facebook and I drove down his driveway in the sense that I saw his phone literally beeping as we were talking with texts coming in. It was crazy, just crazy. That is crazy. And it, I, I think what, what people don't understand when it comes to, to boating is boat is actually an acronym. And I'm going to be a little cliche here, but it's break out another thousand. So you don't just buy the boat, but you buy an ongoing expense when you get a boat. And I think based upon what you told me in the past, you ran into that a little bit with the boat that you bought. Yeah, and I got a good one. Um, so I looked at one, um, uh, which I did not buy uh, on the other side of, of, of our area here. And that one, I don't know, I just got a bad feeling, both from the guy selling it and, and just looking at the boat itself. Um, you know, of course, hindsight, you know, I'm always going to be critical of myself thinking, well, I, I bet that boat wouldn't have had any issues, right? Probably would have been put it in the water and, and it probably would have worked and worked all summer and had no issues. Um, this one, when we bought it, I knew it did have um, a little bit of an idle issue, which I thought, okay, well, it needs plugs, um, probably run some seafoam through it and it'll be fine. 
and really in the end of the day, that is all it needed. Um, uh, it, it wasn't, it was a little more severe than plugs and, and seafoam. We ended up doing a, doing a carb kit on it, but end of the day, that was all that it was. Uh, but that was 400 bucks by the time we were done with it. Uh, trailer and the boat itself looked brand new, but the trailer sat for 10 years because the guy had it on a boat lift. Um, not the trailer, but the boat. Uh, but the trailer just basically was there to store it during the winter. So it probably got one trip from his lake house to the landing and from the landing back to his garage every, every fall and every spring. So those tires themselves, though they looked brand new, um, had a lot of age on them. And so we did our, one of our first trips a few hours away from home with the boat. It, uh, it, it blew a tire and uh, I have subsequently replaced the other tire as well, just for safety. So yeah, we've probably put 600 bucks into that boat since we bought it, which, you know, that's not an insignificant expense when you figure that's over and above, you know, tubes and ropes and wakeboards and additional life jackets, and then just the gas uh, to put into it. So you're right. Break out another thousand is an accurate acronym for sure uh, for these things without a doubt. I don't disagree at all. And when I bought my boat and my boat's a 2016, but I bought it in early 2017. So it was a demo for the dealer. Um, I got a, I got a good price on it, but I was thinking about this today. The amount that I spent on that boat is way above and beyond the cost of the truck that I tow it with. <laughs> when we do a comparison, the truck has air conditioning. My boat doesn't have that. The truck has radio. My boat doesn't have that. Truck has four wheel drive with the boat. If I get it stuck, I have to hop in the water and push it off whatever I'm stuck on. So the truck has way more on it, way more horsepower, um, but the boat is more expensive and, and the, the price of the boats is crazy. And I think that a lot of people are running into this where they go out, they buy the boat and, and they're paying more than what, they're, than what they paid for what they're pulling the boat with. And I think that's crazy. In Minnesota, you get six months of boating if you're lucky. Usually it's more like five. Um, so you get to use this boat half the year. Keep in mind that it's twice the price of your tow vehicle. Um, but your tow vehicle is usually your daily driver. So you drive that back and forth to work every day or going to get groceries. Use it way more than you ever would a boat. But, but we put our money in the hobby more than we do the, the functional tool that we need to live our lives. Um, so I don't know what happened with the price of boats. It used to be where a guy with, you know, $15,000 in his bank account or maybe, um, you know, good credit could go get himself a decent 18 and a half foot boat with maybe 150 horse on it and go fishing. Now, if you don't have 50, 60,000, you're not breaking into the boat market unless you want something small and clunky that you're not going to be happy with. And you're just, you're going to have to upgrade it in a couple of years. Any, anyway, so it, the market has just gone nuts and I don't know how people are, are still getting into that. And, and when I say 50, 60,000, it's like, Oh my, that's a lot of money. But these wake boats that I'm seeing, 100,000, 150,000, easy. And it's just for a base package, something to get your butt deep in the water so you can make the big waves and cruise down the lake. It's nuts. Explain, though, explain the wake boat phenomena to me. Because, so I have a, what you'd either call a bow rider or a runabout or a, you know, I have a typical leisure craft, I guess is what you'd call it, right? So it's not a fishing ski. It's not a boat set up for fishing. I don't fish, um, but it's definitely a good tubing boat, a good leisure boat, to, and it's an 18 and a half foot uh, to go in, inboard, outboard, to group cruise around a lake. You have a straight up bass boat, right? And, and you know, without a doubt, it's a very, very specific um, uh, targeted purpose for your boat. Explain the wake boats to me because they are not just expensive and uh, uh, and 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 sort of obviously what they are, right? I mean, you've got lots of different boats that you would describe as a boat on the water that are all kind of cousins of each other. These things are ostentatious when you look at them, from the colors that they choose to the to the just their their form and fit and finish. What's the deal? I'm a very Jerry Seinfeld here. What is the deal with the wakeboards? Because you're right, my wake boats, because my God, they appear to be a hundred, hundred and twenty, hundred and ten thousand dollars at least for these things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, 
I don't understand the fascination. The only thing I can equate it to, if you go back to, uh, you know, the early 90s, um, the crotch rocket, <clears throat> the motorcycle hit the market and, and people were buying those up like crazy. And they were loud colors. They were super fast. Death machines um, go, you know, try to outrun the cops if you can. Uh, just just get crazy with it. I think the wake boat is, is like that, but more of a status symbol. It's like, oh, I've got this big wake boat um, that I paid bazillions of dollars for on what is probably a 15-year loan. Um, banks are allowing that now on boats. Um, but the, the concept is I can get all my friends on there. We cruise at about 11 to 16 miles per hour because that's the optimum wake. But to do that, to get that big wave, Physically, with just a boat, you wouldn't be able to do that. So what they do is they take on, I don't know, 3,500, 4,000 gallons of water and put it in the ballast of the boat. So you're basically sinking the boat to make this enormous wake. And now your friends can have fun. They can you know, get on their, their wakeboard and, and jump this enormous wake and do flips and tricks, which look really cool from a distance until that wake hits you from you know 50 yards away and it just about knocks you out of your own boat um so they do that another another trend is teak surfing so they try to get the wake even bigger so now there are boats that boast you can put five thousand gallons of water on this thing and it's oh great. my gosh surfing. yeah um you know i was thinking about that i was thinking about the number of gallons if you figure that a gallon of water is about eight and a half pounds eight pounds somewhere in that neighborhood at 3600 gallons of water um or i'm sorry pounds of water 3600 pounds of water that's about 450 gallons hmm. now you think about that 450 gallons what if that was in milk and you had to carry it into your <laughs> <laughs> well now wait a minute are we talking one now are we talking skim milk or one percent milk because <laughs> that would change my entire thinking here depending on what you're talking about so I, I wondered about that because you said gallons earlier. So you mean pounds. So they would put 3,500 pounds. Is that what you're saying? 3,500 pounds of water. I'm sorry. Oh my God. If I said gallons, uh, that's a correction. Um, yeah, it's pounds of water. Good Lord. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about the, you know, uh, um, you know, think of your gas tank in your average passenger car. What's that? 16 gallons. Your average midsize pickup trucks, maybe 29 gallons, uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and you think a 400, 450 gallon, I had no idea those things took on water. I, I guess I really never thought much about the, the dynamics or the physics of the whole thing. Um, isn't that, it, it's, it's, it's this sort of strange irony, right? The whole point of a boat is to keep you out of the water, not to bring water in. I, right, I exactly. Yep. You know, it's funny when we're out on the lake, and this is probably one of our, you know, first years really going out as a family and kind of enjoying it. Predominantly what we see on big lakes or smaller lakes are fisher people. And I'm being very 2020 by saying fisher people, uh, pontoons, and then just cruisers, right? People just sitting low in the water and just kind of cruising around. Um, you know, when it comes to recreation, if you do see recreation, I would say the majority of the people are in those wakeboards, which is amazing to me considering how much they cost. The other thing that's amazing to me is... You know, it's not surprising when I'm on a, you know, a, a metro area lake like this where there's $3 million houses and you go by a dock and they've got, you know, one of every kind of boat. They've got the fishing boat. They've got three jet skis. They've got the big wakeboard boat. Um, you know, they've got all that doesn't surprise me. What surprises me when I was, is when I'm at the landing and that big brand new wake boat gets backed into the, into the, into the launch and the, you know, 27-year-old woman and the 27-year-old guy uh, get out of the pickup truck and unload it. Uh, because you're, you're right. I, I, I know when we were looking like at the boat show, I think it's actually 30-year loans that are available for some of these things. And I think, is that, is that the case here? Is this just a debt load that's being backed in there? Or how in the world are you having your boat be what effectively is the first house I owned uh, on behind your truck? It's amazing to me. Yeah, it's either people that uh, made a lot of money early, were gifted a lot of money, or are really bad at budgeting. It's one mm -hmm. of those three. Or all three. Or again, it's a 30-year loan, and I guess they're paying, you know, $280 a month, um, you know, until the year 2050. But we'll, we'll see how they, how they work out there. But, well, we don't need to pick on the people. I think from, from that perspective, uh, it's, it's obvious to me um, – you know, part of the burden here is trying to get into the boating market and enjoy it. 
Um, you know, some of the frustrations that I have have to do a lot with just parking. Um, if, you know, if you're living on a lake, there's a reason it's premium, right? Because you, you stumble out your back door, you know, you, you, you wander down to the dock, you get in your boat and you go out there and, and, and it's like anything else, right? If, you know, you're not guilty going out on the boat for 45 minutes when you know that was your burden of effort. You know, I just went down, dropped it off the lift and away I went and I just throw it back and put it back up. But the burden on the weekend, especially here to be able to go out uh, and enjoy your boat is pretty heavy, right? Because now it's, oh, I got to I gotta drive 25 minutes to the lake. I wonder if there's going to be any parking spots at the boat landing. I wonder how long the line's going to be. And then of course it's, it's, you know, we're going to want to get off the lake at seven. Am I going to have to wait an hour and a half to get off? So I might have to change my time. Are we, are we really only going to be out there an hour? You know, wh why is it that there, there is such a, there is such a, a wish to get out on these lakes, but there is such a uh, dearth of, of availability of parking and of access to these, to these things. You know, and we should talk about this after the break. Oh, is it break time? Oh my goodness, you know what? You're absolutely right. I'm not watching my clock well enough. But you know what? I, I, I should have known because I heard the theme music starting to come up. And because <laughs> of that, I should have known that it was break time. It so is. 23 minutes in, it's a good time for a break. So this is the first segment to make a better podcast. Next segment we're coming through. Let's talk about some ways in which we can make this a little bit better from the cost to the amount of weight to... You know, maybe some of the people that we run into out there on the on the boat launch of life. Make a better podcast. We'll be right back. Make a better podcast. Returning once again triumphantly with our theme music in tow. Did you? I, I sent you a text today from I'm going to get you, sucker, with the with the theme music. It was not Jim Brown. Jim Brown's in that movie uh, who, who travels with his traveling theme music behind him. And I know you responded with Family Guy, right? That's that's what I think of when I think of somebody having theme music is Family Guy. Well, I'm not as cool as you. I don't have the pop culture references. My references are all from 1978. I don't know why, but that's unfortunately where I'm stuck apparently. But you know the TikTok. So I, yeah, who's I, winning here? Yeah, I, I don't know. For all I know, TikTok's already, uh, you know, passe and they've moved on to something else. I, you know, I, I'm not one who can keep up. Let's put it that way. I haven't tried. I, I just, you know, I, I just happy to survive. I'm happy that I could find my way in here today. So there you go. Hey, let's talk. We were talking a minute ago about um, boat landings, about availability, access and cost to these boats. Um, I don't know that we can do anything about cost, right? I mean, is, isn't that just supply and demand? It's supply and demand, but I think that there's been a, a shift in um, a retail uh, of any sort where instead of saying this thing cost me $10 to make, it's, well, it cost me $10, but I had to get the shipping done and I had to hire this person and I'm going to be taxed this and fine this and there's going to be, um, you know, this other charge and, and none of that is going to the manufacturer anymore. It's all going to the person buying the boat. So any taxes, fees, what have you gets piled on and just gets rolled into the price of the boat, right? Other than the actual taxes that we see when we buy it and we have to go register the boat and ask us how much we paid for it. If you get a used boat, you always pay $1. That's all you paid for the boat regardless of how much you actually paid. It's $1. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, so we're seeing just a, an increase because of uh, the cost of doing business. Um, I don't know that materials have increased that much. In fact, um, aluminum boats came up in price because there was an aluminum shortage uh, years ago. So I have to, I, I got to interrupt you. You know, if we do have people from across the pond, we have to say aluminum. Just so let's oh, just go okay. ahead and, you know, we can, we can maybe cut that back in post, but just for those of you who needed to have it, yeah, if they needed to have that, um, you know, translated, that would be an aluminum Sure. Aluminium. Oh, Aluminium shortage, yes, for uh, our friends right. across the pond. All right. We'll, we'll make sure to add that to All right, our get, sorry, get, sorry, sorry to knock you off plane there, but I'll let you put it, go back in there for your aluminium discussion. Uh, yes. Knock me off plane. That was a boat reference. You're punny. Well, yeah, it's, yes, I'm, I'm back here steering the rudder of the show, as you know. So, oh, for God's sake. <laughs> make it stop. Yeah, I know, exactly. So anyway, uh, aluminum goes up in price. So the aluminum boat 
which traditionally was priced much lower than fiberglass, is now approaching the, the cost of fiberglass boats. Well, you can't have that because fiberglass is the, the superior product, right? So now fiberglass boats have to increase their price to make them look more valuable than aluminum. And here we are, the consumers, we're stuck. We want the good boat, we have to pay more for it because there's a shortage of some unrelated material to the boat we want that caused the price of the boats that we don't want to go up. Mm -hmm. um, I'm generalizing. A lot of people want aluminum boats. They're fine. They're great for rocky lakes, for uh, walleye fishing, what have you. Aluminum is great. But generally, when someone's looking at a boat, they're looking at fiberglass. Well, and I mean, that, that's just it. So, I mean, the, the market dynamics of all of that, both the demand of people, especially now wanting to buy them, the, the artificial influences of, of you know, the, the premium boat tax, whether you, you want to call that a, you know, the quote unquote better boat of the fiberglass over the top of what is the natural increase because of, um, of um, supply chain for the aluminum boat, you know, those things unfortunately are going to happen. We see it happening with cars too, right? I mean, there's some, um, you know, there's, there's not a lick of difference between your four-door sedan anymore if you ever walk through the car show. Uh, and yet there's an incredible amount. I mean, the, the, the floor for what a four-door econo box costs now is what, $20,000, um, you know, versus what used to be $10,000 several years ago. But I think what bothers me is if you, if you buy that $20,000 econo box today, it has a 60,000 mile warranty. And you know what, cars in general, they start in the winter, they all drive pretty well, they all, a lot of them will have pretty good amenities, everything's got power steering, everything's got, got power windows and locks. I mean, all this stuff 25 years ago that used to be a luxury are gone. But why is it, as you just pointed out, why is it when you buy a boat, it has to have so many maintenance issues and problems and costs that, that pile on the top? Why are we paying as much as we are and yet at the same time, we're having these service issues and, and, and trouble. Is it, is it just the nature of how they're used or is it the nature of what they are? Well, and I think that, that you have an inherent problem with boats and, and that's vibration. Um, you have a boat on a trailer, you're going down the road, every little bump is being transferred back to that boat. Um, so they're, they're being bounced around just going down the road. Your trailers do not have the shock absorbers or struts that your car has. Um, no question about it. So they're, they're being bounced around. You get on the lake, it's a constant pounding of waves. Um, you're, you know, even in the slightest wind, it's just one wave after another. But now you have the other boats out there that are creating these huge wakes and you're bouncing off of those, jumping, if you will. I mean, imagine if you had your car and every intersection you jumped and got a foot of air and, and landed back on the pavement. That's what we're putting these boats through. So I think that just through vibrations and general stuff is loosening up, it's cracking, um, it's tearing off. And I think that's where your maintenance comes in. Also, you have uh, mechanical issues with boats. And you think about it, you're running water through a motor constantly. As long as you're running that motor, there's water going through it, around and, it, and, it. And dirty lake water through it, right? right. It's, not, it's not water that you put in a radiator and uh, treat it with chemical. It's, it's, it's water that you know, fish are doing unspeakable things in. <laughs> you have the fish, you have the zebra mussels, you have sand, the weeds, anything getting sucked up through that motor. So it's inherent that you're gonna have mechanical problems with the boat. Um, it's just the nature of where, where you're putting it. Um, so you're going to have more mechanical issues with that. Can you combat that? Maybe, maybe not. I don't think you can. I think it's just the nature of, of where you're, you're recreating with, with the boat. Is, is, there a, is there a boat manufacturer who's attempting to fill that void? Who, you know, if, so I remember, you know, in, in the 80s and in the 90s, certainly too, your, your Chevys and your Fords were, you know, your domestic vehicles. You knew what they were. They cost what they cost. But you also knew you were going to blow through alternators. You were going to blow through starters. You were going to have, uh, you know, coolant issues. You were going to have these issues because they, they are kind of the, the, the builder basic of automobiles. And it was the Hondas and the Lexuses and the Toyotas, um, you know, that, that really turned the worm there on quality matters, right? And people started to buy cars based on reliability ratings. And, uh, you know, we stopped now having even commercials about powertrain and, and uh, you know, torque, foot pounds of torque and that sort of thing. Now everything's about reliability and warranty. Uh, is, is there 
you bought a new boat. I haven't. Is, is there a boat manufacturer who sees that as a selling point that talks about reliability, talks about less maintenance, that talks about durability? You know, what you're going to see um, more than anything when it comes to boats, and I'm speaking from a bass boat point of view, the dry ride. People want to talk about the dry ride. So um, when you're uh, um, going down the lake, you're hitting the waves, whatever, you don't get that splash up over the bow and make everybody in the boat wet. So that that's kind of a selling point for the hull of the boat, the smooth dry ride. Um, when it comes to the mechanics of it, the motors, um, you know, everybody has their warranty that they're going to break about, oh, you get a five-year warranty with this one, you get a two-year warranty with the other one. Um, but I think that Evinrude really tried to push their technology. Um, and that was after the CDU or whoever it was bought them um, and started pushing out these, these high-tech two-stroke motors that were actually more efficient than most of the four-stroke motors out today. Um, they tried to push their quality and say, you're not going to have issues with this. There's no break-in period. Um, to winterize it, all you do is press a button, it winterizes it yourself, so you don't have to come in and make the $300 expense uh, to get it winterized. Um, they had a really good product. Now, they just bailed out of that recently. I don't know what was happening, but for a few years, it was hard to find a place to even service the motors. Um, so I'm guessing, I'm guessing that was some sort of reimbursement issue. Evan Rude wasn't paying enough to have these shops work on their motors. But then secondly, um, I think that you ran into uh, um, two strokes. Uh, the government was basically saying, you can't have a two stroke motor anymore by such and such a year, we want everything four stroke. Evernor didn't have a four stroke and why have one? They were more efficient than the, um, the, their four stroke counterpart. So it, uh, is fuel injection a thing? In, in a in an average boat now i'm sure if you if you get up into a, a luxury liner that 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 might be different but is is fuel injection even a thing in a in an average you know sub sixty thousand dollar you know twenty three foot and shorter boat or, or are all of these boats still carbureted uh motors naturally aspirated engines yeah they're they're fuel injected now the outboards that i'm running are fuel injected they are really nice you just get in there you start the key and you go Right, um, more dependable, certainly more dependable. But you've got something in a low gear, um, you're just pushing uh, water all day long. Right. If you get four miles to the gallon, you're doing pretty good. So nobody's gonna brag about their fuel efficiency because no. yeah, you have a lot of horsepower, all geared low, pushing the same amount of water. So you're not going to to gain any efficiencies with that. So that is, it's not a bragging point. So one of the things that has always struck me when I look at, boats is, and you, you tell me if this theory is completely off the mark, but there is an element of uh, simplicity so that it is um, easier to fix. Uh, it, it might break more quickly, but it's easier to fix. It's easier, it's easier to manage, easier for the, for the owner to maintain themselves. Uh, and thus, I have a, you know, a relatively new boat, but it's got a carburetor on it, right? And it hasn't been a carburetor on a car in 25 years or longer. Uh, but my boat certainly has a carburetor on it. It also, you know, when I open up and I look at the engine, um, I have an inboard outboard. And when I look at the, the, the engine in my boat, you know, there's complication there, but it's very approachable for me to work on. It's very approachable for me to do, you know, basic maintenance on, on my boat versus, and I know I've helped you change an impeller in the lower unit of, of a past boat that you had. Those are very approachable jobs. I, I wonder if the, the, the agreement, the kind of natural contract with boat and boat owner and boat manufacturer has somewhat been fractured in the sense that we've always accepted the simplicity of design because we knew that that was both the best balance of durability and then also maintenance. But yet we've now had to give up the, the economics side of that, right? So rather than having this kind of simple machine and simple unit that we could work on, we could repair and yet understand that those simple parts break more, we've now had that met with, and oh, by the way, it's gonna cost you $50,000 instead of 15. Right, exactly. Um, you make an excellent point. I mean, even on, on my boat, I have a 225 horse Yamaha in there. It's an excellent motor, highly recommend it. 
I can't get the hood off of that thing by myself. That's generally a mm. two-person job. Um, mm. So just the, the sheer size of these things has become monstrous. And then once you get the hood off, it's just covered in plastic. No idea where anything is. I mean, there, sh there should be a, a, a water separator in there that anyone should be able to replace on their own. Can't find it. It's just covered. Um, so you're right. I mean, average Joe isn't going to work on them like he could 10 years ago where you could just pop the cover off, you know, um, put a, put a new whatever in a carburetor to make it go. That just doesn't happen anymore. So I think, you know, for me, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to equate this to sort of like golf in the sense that, you know, once you sort of, um, and you know what, I'll actually equate this even to fishing itself, because, you know, I used to fish with you a little bit when I would try to learn to fish and try to actually find the enjoyment of it. I just don't have the attention span or the interest that you do. I have other hobbies that, that drive me. But one of the things that I found right away is, you know, you have to become, um, you have to become personal with the enjoyment of the activity. You have to become uh, somewhat connected to that at a, at a, at a, at a, at a, at a physical and a mental and emotional level, right? It has to be something you enjoy doing to the extent that you'd go out with a cane pole and a, and a piece of string and, and fish if you had to, to be able to do it. And I think that it's kind of like golf's that way too. If you find yourself only enjoying golf, if you're wearing a $500 outfit and have a, you know, $4,000 set of clubs in your $400 bag and you're playing a, you know, a $200 around golf course, um, that's not an emotional connection to the activity that now is, is, is you, you know, really surrounding yourself with something that has kind of clouded you away from the actual activity that you're doing. That's maybe how I see the wakeboard boats. Um, there is such complication there, especially now with what you're telling me they bring on in weight and the cost and the audaciousness. I'm sure they're having a great time and I'm sure it's fun, but that's a hell of a lot different than the guy who's out there in the, in the 12 foot aluminum Lund boat and the, and the five horsepower Evan Rudolph off the back of it. That's just out there enjoying his day. And, and maybe that, maybe that's the lesson here, right? Is if you want that $110,000 boat and you can enjoy it, and you don't mind the maintenance, and that's your emotional connection, great. Uh, but beyond that, if, if you're doing this for any other reasons, uh, you need to first find a way to connect with the real purpose for why you're out there rather than being tied up in the accoutrements of all this, right? You're exactly right. Um, for me, I was able to justify the expense of my boat because that's what I do. Bob is a fisherman. Bob bass fishes. So that's my thing. I was able to, to, to dump money into that. Some people golf and that's really cool. I like to, you know, go out golfing once a year. Some people do it three times a week and they have a thousand dollar set of clubs. Um, those green fees aren't cheap. So that's their thing. That's where they put their money. It's what they value. For me, it was a boat. Right. And you know, I'm going to, I'm going to bring our music up as we close our second segment here, but I'll relay just real briefly a, a, a quick, I think a quick, good conclusion to that whole concept to make this better. Because when I was uh, recently out with my family on the largest lake uh, that we have here in our area, uh, it got crowded, it got busy. There were a lot of yachts, huge yachts that were out there causing churn and it got a little bit uncomfortable actually with all the water getting slapped around and us getting slapped around by it. But then as we kind of approached our boat landing, uh, I saw a dad who was probably 30 and his son who was probably eight and they were in a little tiny Boston whaler. And by whaler, I mean, it was nine foot long if it was, you know, if it was an inch. Uh, and they were just putt, putt, putting out on the lake and he didn't look scared at all with the waves and neither did his son. And I thought, here's somebody who's comfortable, right? Here's somebody who, who didn't need to be pulling a tube. I don't even know if they had any fishing rods on that boat. They were just out for a boat ride. And they didn't really care who else was out there. They didn't care how big their boat was. They didn't care how big their neighbors was. They didn't care how big the one that was making the big waves was. They were just enjoying the day on the lake. And maybe that's the best way to make this better. You know, do what you can afford and then do what you love. All right, that's the end of segment number two, Make a Better Podcast. We'll be back with segment number three. Just a minute. All right, segment number three. I like three. 
The number three is nice. It's a it's a Fibonacci number, you know. I like the Fibonacci sequences. You know, that's how you're supposed to plant trees. Oh yeah, you never want to do double trees or four trees. You want three. No, it's got to be a one, a two, a three, a five, an eight, a thirteen, a twenty-one. Right? You got to follow that Fibonacci sequence. Um, and eight is part of that sequence. Yeah. Well, so Fibonacci, right? You add, uh, you take the number, the preceding number, you add those together, and then you continue doing that in a chain. So you've got zero, and zero plus one is one, then you got one plus one is two, and then you got two plus one is three, and three plus two is five, and five plus three is eight, and then oh. you have eight plus five is 13, and 13 plus eight is 21, and then it just continues. I could do this all day, but I would need my calculator because eventually I'm going to run out of speed, but that's the Fibonacci sequence. Fantastic. I had no idea. Yeah, and they say, you know, this was, you know, interestingly enough, I won't go into that little bit of trivia, but if you look it up, that was Fibonacci is the mathematician who, who came up with that. And uh, it was originally, I believe, a algorithm that he sold to farmers because that was back when scientists actually didn't just make their living off grant money. They actually had to produce something. Uh, and he went off and he was a, uh, a mathematician and he sold that to farmers who are raising rabbits. And it was a way for them to predict the volume of rabbits they would end up with at the end of a season based on how many rabbits they started with. So that's the Fibonacci sequence. And it's been since used to represent a lot of things in nature. Um, you know, if you tend to count the number of leaves on a rose or a number of trees that tend to look right to our eye, uh, they tend to be Fibonacci numbers. So. Very interesting. Yeah, I think so. But then again, that's me. <laughs> oh, you know, I, I wanted to relay a story actually about this whole uh, this whole boat thing because you know one thing we didn't talk about other than briefly was the whole boat landing itself, and it's a little. I know it's a little passe because everybody complains about, you know, the, the, the boat landing and the stress of the boat landing and launching a boat. And then, of course, there's if, if I'm not mistaken, there's a whole rabbit hole you can go down on YouTube of funny things that happen at the boat launch. Right. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, you see the 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 the, the people who, uh, you know, first time out in the water. Right. So they unhook the trailer from their truck and like try to drive off onto the or, or sail off with their with their boat with the trailer still strapped to the bottom of it. You know, you've seen those videos. Right. Of the people who are are really, really confused this uh, this summer. We were up uh, in the, the northern regions of our state, and we were on a, on a lake, and I had the strangest experience at the boat landing. I'm not sure if I ever told you about this, but, um, you know, around here we have um, the, uh, the natural resource officer who, who guards the, the landing and makes sure you're, you're not dragging any, any zebra mussels in or out of or any other invasive species in or out of the lake, right? Is that, that's what they're called, right? Kind of our natural resources officer. Uh, the boat inspector for the yes. Department of Natural Resources, or it could be a lake association. It's one or the other. Uh, either way, they're making sure you're going in with a clean boat and then cleaning your boat when you come out. Yeah, and they ask you a couple questions. And to be honest, you know, most of the time I find that if you're friendly to them, they're friendly to you and you can actually have a nice chat. And they'll even give you some advice about good spots to go in the area if you're not, not, not used to it. So definitely don't have to be your enemy. And I, and I bring him up only because um, I pulled into this very small rural boat landing. It was all gravel. And it was sort of a circular drive where at the, at the, the apex of the circle was the landing itself, just a single lane landing with a dock. And then, uh, you know, off the gravel turn there, there were places where you could just sort of pull off on the grass and park your trailer. So it was never expected to have maybe more than two or three trailers parked there at a time. It was a rural lake. It's no big deal. Well, I happened to be there at a time when a, 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 there were probably two or three trailers parked. Uh, there was a, another gentleman who had pulled over with his boat um, and was getting ready to, to talk to the, to the resource officer. We pulled in with ours. And uh, for whatever reason, the resource officer came to talk to me first instead of the other guy. No problem. So we should chat a little bit. He said, okay, where was your last lake? And I told him and he said, all right, you can go ahead and put your boat in. Well, I said, well, I would accept. And I pointed over at the landing. And this bass boat, a ranger, um, trolled right up to the concrete landing and parked right at the landing, right in the landing, uh, so that the guy on the bow of the boat could hop out. And then he just sat there. Now, it's not unusual for somebody to pull up to the dock and let the other fellow go up and grab the trailer. But not only did he sat there, sit there, but that guy ran right over, grabbed his trailer, and backed in front of me 
Now, so the, the, the DNR guy had already pointed me down, down the ramp. This guy basically ran to his truck and backed right in front of us to block us from getting in so they could load first, right? Okay, not unusual. It's, it's a rude guy, kind of a jerk, didn't look up, whatever. So I they think that's put, beyond kind of, that's, that's a big <laughs> jerk is what that is. Well, okay, so the story itself, I, I don't think I would make too much of a big deal of this, except for the way it continued, because then they loaded their boat up. And I will say this, they, this was not their first rodeo. Uh, they got the boat loaded up super fast, uh, very, very efficient. The one fellow hooked himself, um, you know, he, he pulled it up on, he power loaded the boat, you know, hooked the front of the boat himself while the other guy stayed in the truck. Um, I think it was a, a Tacoma, so it wasn't a monstrous truck either, so it was pretty nimble, and uh, they drug themselves up out of the water. What I thought was so interesting was, you know, you know, I was there with my son, and he and I were already kind of appalled, and the DNR guy were kind of appalled at how rude these guys were, but uh, as I launched our boat, I pulled back up to park. My son took off with the boat uh, across the lake to where we were staying. I looked over, <clears throat> and now I, I should have set this up a little better, because this landing was in the middle of a cabin neighborhood. I mean, there was houses on each side. There were little kids out playing. In fact, there was a little kid on the dock watching all the boats get launched. So it was very active and, and a lot of that. So these guys pulled out of the water after being so rude to everybody, cut me off, cut the next guy off also, by the way, blocked him so he couldn't even get in behind me to go next. And then the guy is standing literally in the middle of the gravel road, five feet from a porta potty, urinating, Right, right in the middle, of, <laughs> right in the middle of this whole driveway and parking lot. And I thought, my God, could this get any worse? And I thought, you know what? I don't want to know. And I, I hightailed it out of there and got, got the hell away from these people. But, you know, the, 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 I, that is the thing that has amazed me is what you see at a boat landing is, is, you know, it's it's really uh, this the stuff of legend. It's it's situational awareness and people that lack it. I mean, they they obviously had no clue that there were other people at that landing, um, and they had no clue that there was a porta potty. They were just it was those two. They were the only two in the world, and they were going to do their thing. But it was it's, it was amazing to me because that whole area felt like it was the size of a two stall garage. Um, you know, because and literally it was all gravel. It was just all just you know kind of pull in and launch your boat, but. Um, you know, whatever. I mean, these, these were local yokels, I guess. So what are you going to do? Right. Mm. Uh, speaking of etiquette, I thought, you know, you know what I pulled together. Um, I found the eight rules of uh, boat uh, landing etiquette, boat ramp etiquette. Do you know the eight rules of boat ramp etiquette? I didn't know there were eight rules of boat ramp etiquette. I bet there's probably 108, but this Wired to Fish article that I found listed eight of them. Shall we go through those eight and you can tell me if, if you don't agree with any of them? Let's do that. So one of them is move to the side if you're not ready. So I think what they're saying here is, hey, how about you not drive your boat up and block the entire ramp so that I can't get my boat in uh, if in fact you're not ready to go. So they're, what they are talking about though is you know, pull off to the side, get all your stuff unloaded, get everything ready to go so that when you actually back down the ramp, you're not going to be blocking anybody while you're getting your, your stuff together. Now, this, this is something that I just instinctively do. Um, I know what he had to tell me that. I assume you do this as well, right? I absolutely agree with that 100%. Um, it, you have people that pull down and stay in line, but they're they're moving life jackets from the bed of their truck to the boat and they're taking the cover off and what have you. Get out of the way. Usually, uh, bass guys, and I'm not saying it's all us bass guys, but we're ready to go when we get there. We have to put the plug in, take a couple of things off our motor, unclip it, and we're we're ready to back in. Um, so that drives me nuts that I have to sit and wait for people who are unprepared. So yes, absolutely, move to the side, let the rest of us get through and launch our boat. And I got to tell you, I have actually gotten this. I wouldn't say that our family has this down to a science because we're still improving upon this, but I'm, I'm kind of a, I'm, I'm an over planner anyway, but we've gotten pretty good at this in the sense that, you know, we, we pull in and where we go is usually got a lot of room, a big circular drive, but we'll pull in, pull off to the side, we'll hop out, the, the cockpit cover comes off the boat, the straps come off, the plug goes in. And now we've taken it to the extent where everybody in the family gets in the boat, uh, I back us in, uh, and then, and then the last time we, we really got this good because, uh, my son's gotten pretty good in driving the boat. So I'll, uh, back us about halfway into the water. I hop out, I unhook the cable. I back us the rest of the way in and just hit the brake a little harder than normal. And shoop, she comes right off the ramp 
right off the uh, right off the uh, trailer, I should say, uh, and uh, he's off to the races, and we're gone. Uh, so from from that perspective, I feel like I am a really good citizen right now because we are taking up very little time when we launch our boat. That is perfect. Now let me just put one little warning on that. Um, you have a bunk trailer, so you're able to unhook it before you back it in. Correct. If you have a roller trailer, don't do that. That's yeah, yeah. You're going to be stuck at the landing for a long time because your boat's yeah. going to roll right off of that yeah. trailer. Yeah, I, I, obviously, yeah. Disclaimer there. My circumstance, that works great. That's not, not going to work great for, for everybody. But in my case, yeah, that's for our situation, we have found that this is super efficient and, and works pretty darn well. Uh, I, this next one, I would not have thought of, but I bet because you go out early in the morning and fish, uh, or maybe even come off the lake late, this is probably something you have. And that's turn your headlights off. Uh, when you back into the into the water. So the point being here that, you know, if it's a double boat ramp, um, it's about impossible to see if you're backing up and the fellow next to you has his lights on as he is unloading. Is that something you have experienced? Yeah, definitely. It makes it tough to see uh, backing down, down the ramp for sure. Um, little uh, hint here for Chevy owners, they have daytime running lights. It's basically their headlights that just come on and mm -hmm. there's not a way to turn them off um, if you're in anything but park. But what you can do, give your emergency brake, your parking brake, just one click, and that will allow you to turn your headlights off while you're, while you're in drive or reverse. Interesting. Now, you and I both have F-150s, right? We both have Fords. Mm -hmm. um, is there a way that we could wire our headlights into the Ford Sync system so they just didn't work or work just randomly and like the rest of Ford Sync? <laughs> <laughs> it's very possible. Maybe it would go out every time that my, my screen did on my Ford sync system. I'd like to personally thank Ford for not hooking the accelerator into the sync system because every other bleeping thing you've hooked through the sync system and it works about every fifth time I want to use it. Uh, very frustrated. And the most frustrating thing is I really can't yank it out and replace it with a transistor radio, which I'd really like to do. Uh, here's another one. And this one I think goes without saying, it's basically, you know what, don't stand down there and talk to your buddy, uh, which I can't believe we actually have to list this, but I, I know we do because every time I go to a grocery store and, uh, the clerk is friends with somebody they're checking out, uh, on a Saturday afternoon, they still aren't shamed with 20 people waiting and stand there and chit chat, uh, about how their day is going. Uh, but yeah, rule number three supposedly is, Hey, you know what? go ahead and get your boat out of the way and, and then go ahead and catch up with your buddy about how the day went. Actually, once upon a time on a, a uh, website venture, I went on that failed. I, I wrote an article about boat ramp etiquette. And one of the things I said was, listen up, Cracker Jack, back up, launch your boat, get out of the way. Three simple steps. Uh, you don't screw around there. There are people waiting. And even if there aren't people waiting, there's going to be somebody who's going to be waiting. So just get out of the way. You can chat while you're on the water. You don't have to do it at the ramp. Yeah, and you know what? That's just a good rule everywhere. I don't care if you're at the bank. I don't care if you're, if you're you know, in a parking lot. Uh, you know, if you just left the mall and you're, you're going to go get in your spot and it's a full parking lot and people are circling for parking spots, get, and I'm going to swear, get your ass in the car and get moving. Uh, there, are, there are other places that you can go where you're not going to be in people's way. Uh, just, just make everybody's stress level go down. Just, just get going, get to where you need to be, and then find an appropriate spot to talk. You know, the next one is, you know, those, those ramps that are um, double, double wide, you know, where you're designed probably to have two boats go down. They're just saying, hey, you know what? Pick a side. Don't go down the middle. Uh, right. you, I don't know if you see that. I, I have seen... Um, I've seen the 30 degree angle method also where not quite too good at backing up yet. And so they're kind of diagonal across the double. Um, you see that a lot too? I do see it a lot. I try to give people grace, but here's the time that you don't do it. Don't do it on a holiday. Don't do it on a weekend. If you want to do it on a Tuesday night, because that's all you know how to do, go ahead. There's not a lot of people there, but on a holiday or a weekend, you have to get out of the way and you have to use your side. Mm -hmm. And you know what, when, so I, I grew up on a farm, I know how to back a vehicle up, but backing up a boat is not easy and it takes practice. And I, and I imagine, you know, it's, it's kind of like, well, frankly, I also a motorcycle owner and I've owned a couple and I can tell you that every motorcycle rides a little different too. And you need to practice. And there's, and I did, I took our boat out when we first got it at like 9am on a Tuesday when I happened to have time on a day. And I just backed it down and back the trailer a few, down and back the landing a few times. And, you know, the hard part was it's a lot harder to back that trailer up when it's empty. 
Um, and you can't really do that unless the boat's in the water. Um, but, you know, it, the first few times I, I definitely worked hard uh, to, to, to back it up straight and then do it efficiently and quickly and practice when, when it was a time when it wasn't busy. Uh, so that's sage advice, sir, sage advice. Mm -hmm. The fifth item, uh, and this I would not have thought of um, because I got to tell you as a, a new boat owner, it's everything I can do to remember to turn the blower motor on because it's an inboard outboard and, you know, get the plug in, you know, I'm working through all of that right now in my head, trim up, my God, trim up before you pull the boat out of the water. That's, that's the other one that I'm constantly beating into my head. But this one is, <laughs> for obvious reasons, have your nav lights on when your boat touches the water. So I suppose if you're out there at, again, 4 o'clock in the morning to catch the early bite, uh, turn those navigation lights on as soon as your boat hits the water so people can see you. Interesting. I had never thought of that one. Um, I've launched in, uh, you know, at dawn, uh, loaded up at dusk, and, and haven't thought to, to pop those on right away. Yeah, that's what they say. That's the number one rule. And I'm actually surprised with, you know, you mentioned um, Chevy and their running lights. So many cars have running lights now. I'm surprised that, you know, boat lights aren't just mandatory to have on, even if they're just the, you know, just the bow light, maybe not the, the, the high white light in the back, but just the bow light. It surprises me that newer boats just don't come that way anyway, just for visibility reasons. And you think they would. I think about a motorcycle. How long have, how long have headlights been just automatic on motorcycles? They're on all the time. Why not do right. it on a boat? Yep. And I, I know on my bike, I have three headlights, two of which I can turn off and they're never off. They're always on because you know what? I want to be seen. I, I want to be seen. Mm -hmm. uh, number six, again, I also would never do this. Um, maybe this is a thing, but only tie to other boats with permission. Um, who the heck ties their boat to somebody else's boat at the landing, I guess, uh, without permission? I don't think I would do that. Would you? Uh, absolutely not. The only so uh, uh, seafaring vessels, so saltwater, um, where you know you have to to what's that word? M O O R moor. Moor, moor, yes. Moor. Um, yeah. Do that with your boat. Maybe we're going to tie up to another one there, uh, just to leave it there for a few seconds. Uh, regardless, ask for permission. That that's uh, yeah. I don't care where you are. Yeah, you definitely definitely want to check in with the owner before doing that. And this did happen on a busy Saturday for us where, um, you know, uh, another owner asked if we would just, you know, hold the, the, the dock line for him and kind of hold it from boat to boat while he ran to get his trailer. But he asked, right? I mean, that was, you know, it was a calm day. There was no risk of the boats hitting anything. Mm -hmm. um, I can't imagine somebody doing that without asking first, but that's why we have to have rules because, you know, there are idiots out there, right? You know, I I'm, will tell you, I went to a boat landing in Missouri on Table Rock Lake. It was a beautiful landing because it was just, you know, feet and feet and feet of, of cement. You could back up anywhere and launch your boat and pull out. There were, however, no docks. Uh -huh. So if somebody were to pull up, park their boat uh, or beach it, that may be an instance where someone will say, oh, I'll pull up next to them and, and tie off on their boat. Um, but still, get permission. Yeah, it's not hard. A ask somebody's permission first. It's, it's, you know, it's analogous to just walking over by the porta potty and peeing out in the middle of the, of the street. You probably shouldn't do that. Ask permission first, or, or maybe that's, you know, you're going to look like you're doing that. Uh, number seven, there's nothing wrong with using your trolling motor. So in this case, um, you know, using your trolling motor, I think what they're saying is at the landing, right? You know, maybe after you've launched your boat or, or before, just, just so that you can get it maneuvered out of the way. Now I see, and you've told me what these things cost, but I've, I've seen the uh, people now who have the, the uh, uh, automatic trolling motors where you program them to run the whole lake for you and you can run them by remote control so you can actually set them to spin in a circle while you go get your truck and back into the lake. Uh, that's crazy. Uh, I'm amazed. We talked about expense for a while. Those are really, really expensive and it's, it's amazing the trust we put in them. Yeah, that's a lot of trust. I've driven remote control cars and I would not trust myself with a remote control trolling motor if I was not on the boat. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed by that. But uh, that's what they say. Go ahead and use a trolling motor if, if you've got one or if, if, even, if, even if you're on the boat, just go ahead and do that just to get yourself maneuvered out of the way. Uh, if, if the parking lot's not empty, give everybody some space. So this is another one of those cases, or I should say if it is empty, give some space. So this is another issue where, you know, I see this a lot even if you go to a Target or a Walmart or one of those stores, uh, you know, the, the, the guy who has parked across you know, two stalls, not parking across two stalls because he's trying to, you know, do that 
that douche move of, of uh, trying not to have anybody park anywhere near him so he gets his door dinged. This right. is somebody who just kind of flew it in there and uh, got one wheel over the line, and now it screwed it up for everybody who comes thereafter. Same kind of thing here. I mean, I know it's hard to park a boat trailer. A lot of the landings that I've been to in our area are pull in and back out. It's not a pull through type situation. But, you know, you know, give it an extra 10 minutes, call it practice, and get it between the lines, right? Right, exactly. And generally what I see, um, it's the people with the smaller boat trailers that end up doing that. They pull their vehicle in and they look at the trailer and like, ah, it's good enough. What they don't understand is that there's somebody coming through with a 23-foot trailer and a, a, a full-size truck, four-door, six-and-a-half-foot bed that has to try to pull into that spot next to them. Um, and we're either not going to fit or we're going to have to get in there crooked because you did. Um, that's when people start losing taillights when other people are trying to back out and that, that trailer's hanging over a little bit. That was exactly the scenario I had this weekend. And uh, it was incredibly crowded at the, at the launch. Uh, when we went to leave, it was still crowded in the parking lot. I was in between uh, two different long trailers. I have a long trailer. Um, you know, one guy was crowding me just a little bit. He was in his line, but he was close. And it took two or three tries for me to get that thing to bend enough uh, that I could both get backed out and not turn over the top of him at the same time. Uh, so it's just, you know, it, it's just if everybody puts in an extra minute's effort, you know, it, it'll save everybody an aggregate a cumulative amount of stress, I think, right? Just, it's, it's so easy and so much easier to be nice. I don't know why more people uh, don't choose to be nice, right? It just, it's just so much easier to be nice. Common courtesy goes a long way. It sure does. And you know what else uh, is nice? It's nice that we got episode number two in the books. Uh, I don't know that we solved much today with boats. I think one of the things we solved is that they're really expensive and you better know what you want and you better, you better decide that what you want is, is what you buy because it's going to cost you and it's going to cost you for a long time, right? You know what? Mind your budget, look out for your friends on the water and uh, be courteous. Hey, you know what? That might be a good motto for life, especially in this day and age. Mind yourself, mind your gap, watch out for your friends. And hey, how about this? Make it better. We'll see you next time. Make it better notes at gmail.com. Send us an email. Go ahead and drop us a voice memo with your uh, voice memo on your phone. Send it on to that email address. You might make the show, might make topics or, you know what? Just give us a little encouragement. I don't know about you, but I could sure use it. Have a great day. See you later. Make it better podcast.